This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Noel, before we start today's episode, which is a doozy, I have to say, I woke up this morning as we were about to record, and I realized, holy smokes, it's March again. I woke up this morning, it was March again. Was it kind of like that? Did you have the blues? Was it the March? That was actually, was that, that was sort of like a harmonica situation you had going on there, Ben. I have the dubious superpower to impersonate a harmonica. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, I think the I think the cold, uh, the the bitter cold of winter may well be behind us. Knock on, knock on wood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully, man. Uh, but but for me, it was more thinking about just uh, how odd it was that we, in many ways, lost a year, right, of yeah. activities of travel. Uh, you and I especially, because we were always on planes. It's true. We were we were planed up, uh, and then all of a sudden we were we were grounded. Uh, but you know what? There, there there was there's a silver lining in all of this. Um, I I discovered macrame. I learned how to knit, uh, and I've been making um, music in my home studio a bunch. Okay, the third one is true. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Uh, I, I would love to hear about the knitting. I know about the studio stuff. Let's see. I memorized uh, the periodic table, the Greek alphabet, 
or something else. Yeah, I learned a lot of useless knowledge and, of course, worked on my uh, pseudo-harmonica skills. But perhaps nobody was uh, feeling the heat of the pandemic more so than our good pal, super producer Casey Pegram, who has not returned to his second life as LaBouche in some time, right? Yes, indeed. Um, And, you know, another thing I think that we may have had a pretty good run on during this COVID situation is Florida man stories. Uh, But today we have a particularly historical Florida man story. Dare I say the precedent of the Florida man uh, meme. Oh, well. That's just uh, the way I'm looking at it. I don't know if anyone else thinks of it that way, but. It's yeah. it's up to our fellow ridiculous historians. I am tempted to agree with you, my friend. You see, back in 1890, in the spring of 1890, Uncle Sam sent a heavily armed ship to get rid of a local despot. This is something that the U.S. does all the time and has done uh, in the century or so since. But this is a little bit different because this military intervention, which was okayed by the president of the time, Benjamin Harrison, this military intervention was not on the shores of Tripoli. It wasn't, you know, half a world away in the Pacific theater. Instead, it was in our very own U.S. state. That's right. Everyone's favorite peninsula. Florida. Yeah, it turns out um, they had themselves uh, a real tyrant on their hands uh, in the form of a mayor by the name of William W. Billy Cottrell, who rained down terror and menace uh, most foul on uh, one particular little town in Florida called Cedar Key. And it really did take the intervention of Washington and a full-on military coup to remove this man. It's so very wild. So just so you get a sense of where Cedar Key is, it's in the Gulf-facing side of the Florida Peninsula. It's kind of uh, a little north of Tampa and a little southeast of Tallahassee, kind of southwest of Gainesville. It looks like a beautiful place if you love archipelagos and islands. But today we're going to learn why Billy was the only U.S. mayor so far who was ever deposed by a full-on military coup. So only one of the Cedar Keys, Way Key, is inhabited today. There are a bunch of other islands that collectively form what we call the Cedar Keys National Wildlife Refuge. Just like, it's like our earlier story on the Dead Pig War. Uh, If you look at the map, then these islands don't seem particularly, they don't seem to be a big deal until you think of them in the context of the time and the area. Uh, They are strategic during the 19th century. They have a supply depot that was instrumental during the Second Seminole War. Later, during the Civil War, they're occupied by Union troops. They're part of a railroad system that makes them a hub for trade and transport. It's an important place, even though it's relatively new in comparison to some other U.S. cities because it was uh, it was only really formed during the Civil War in 1840. Yeah, it also makes me think of another uh, topic we did on uh, stuff they don't want you to know about the Marshall Islands, which had some strategic qualities as well that were exploited pretty heavily by the United States government uh, in the form of uh, pretty brutally uh, thoughtless nuclear weapons tests. Absolutely. Uh, and luckily, uh, 
as we'll see, we're very lucky that uh, Mayor Cottrell was not able to get his hands on some nukes because that guy, Noel, that guy with some nukes, who, buddy? Uh, so Cedar Key is named Cedar Key because of a 1542 Spanish map that described as the Cedar Islands. You can probably guess why, folks. Uh, one of the first things the early European explorers noticed was that there were a ton of cedar trees all over the archipelago. And so, as you might imagine, lumber becomes a primary industry. Totally. I mean, there also was fishing. They also exported cotton. But uh, the island was dotted with sawmills and pencil factories, which I love the idea of a pencil factory. It's not something you think of today, but it was a big deal at the time. You know, they were churning out pencils in the 1880s. And the pencil plants uh, didn't fare well as the sawmills. Uh, the cedar was eventually depleted, and it became much more of an important strategic location as far as the rail system went. Cedar Key was a very important port city until about 1886 when and the port of Tampa nearby started to draw shipping business away from Cedar Key. It was a real upset. About 2,500 residents lost their jobs when those mills closed. And then adding insult to injury in 1896, you had a hurricane and an accompanying tidal wave that absolutely obliterated uh, much of the area. So, you know, this was it, was, it really does make me think of the kinds of situations that often lead to tyrannical rule, right? I mean, you had Hitler coming into power uh, after the devastation that Germany saw during World War One. The you know people who had lost their jobs, been demoralized in the face of the world, and then you got someone coming in uh, to take advantage of that uh, economic strife and um, kind of just generalized anxiety, right? Yeah, when it rains, it pours. And the town itself became a fundamentally different place. The population plummeted. There were barely 2,000 people there. There was only one road, one in and out area, right? It paralleled a very uh, thin section of the Central and Peninsula Railway. And this made the town's population easy to control. And in this chaos, it was little finger in Game of Thrones says chaos is a ladder. In this chaos, someone climbed the ladder. A 33-year-old William W. Cottrell. In 1889, he had been elected mayor of Cedar Keys. Uh, he was elected unanimously, which seems pretty unusual, until you realize only 101 people voted. He wasn't just the mayor. He was also the customs inspector. Now, we know on the face of it, that sounds incredibly corrupt. But you have to remember, in a lot of small towns, even today, uh, the same individual will end up taking multiple positions in governance, not, not necessarily out of corruption, just out of necessity. Anyway, here's the thing with Cottrell. He is a terrible and super sketchy mayor when he was first elected, he disappeared. He just straight up ghosted off the grid for more than a month. Right. And then when he came back, people were like, dude, you were a better mayor when you were not here. Yeah, some really, really strange, unpredictable behavior. Uh, he did appear to have set a pretty nasty precedent from the start. For example, he was a big fan of carrying around firearms and using them, brandishing them to intimidate uh, his constituents. 
it was reported uh, at the time that he had used a pistol uh, to force a black man to beat a telegraph operator brutally in the streets in front of, you know, just uh, passersby. Um, There were women who were reportedly shopping at the nearby dry goods store who he held hostage at gunpoint, seemingly for his own amusement. There was a place called the Schlemmer House Hotel, uh, which actually was riddled with bullet holes from when the mayor drunkenly let off a volley of uh, of shots in pursuit of someone he had a beef with. Yeah, the guy was an absolute. I mean, like the very definition of a loose cannon. He's uh, he's like the Tasmanian devil from cartoons. Also, you know. Obviously, the policy of ridiculous history is there's nothing wrong with one or three uh, good cocktails, but this guy was wasted in office continually, and he was quite a belligerent person when inebriated. Uh, it's it's strange because he also he physically assaulted, intimidated, and threatened everybody in town. Social class didn't matter, and he verbally abused them, but. He got support in his shenanigans because his own goons were elected to be the police force. Totally. Like his drinking buddies became the cops. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's he literally had a goon squad at his disposal, uh, hiding behind the uh, legitimacy of of the badge. You know, um, town marshal J.R. Mitchell was one of Cottrell's loyal followers, and it was said of, of the time, you know, in hindsight, perhaps, that he only really stuck with Mitchell because he himself was afraid of being shot. Yeah. And this guy this guy was essentially like a boss Tweed-type figure, but, like, worse. Yeah. Literally, like, 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 almost like a Wild West kind of, you know, just ruling with an iron fist kind of reign of terror-type dude. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? I think you know. Hmm. It's Harry's. 
Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this when I was looking over this uh, past week or so. He's not quite a Colonel Kurtz because the people Colonel Kurtz ruled supported him, <laughs> which is weird. If you are if you are losing a popularity test with the villain of Apocalypse Now, yeah, his goons would uh, have gun parties. They would get drunk and party, and then they would say, let's make everybody in town come out and dance. And then they would like, under the threat of uh, being shot, they would make these people dance. The guy had so many grudges. He was like an evil elephant that never forgot. And a lot of his grudges, I think this is a good argument for maybe late stage alcoholism because right. a lot of his grudges were things that nobody understood, like including the people he had a grudge for, including the people who knew both parties. One time he tried to kill a guy who worked at the railroad for some reason. And then another time he tried to stab a dude. He wounded him, but he didn't kill him over an insult that no one was aware of. And it seemed like the mayor himself could not explain what happened. This was like, I know, I know local politics can be a sticky situation, but I think having a mayor that randomly stabs people is a municipal issue that takes precedence over party affiliation. Hopefully that's not a hot take. The The town was riddled with bullet holes all over the buildings because he was, he was just so gun happy. I'm laughing, but I probably shouldn't be because he also uh, reportedly killed his own brother-in-law and then uh, cursed out his sister for quote unquote being poor. He would hit children 
while their mothers were carrying them. This is nuts. At this point, it's like a Roman emperor. How much of this is true? Oh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a really good point, Ben, and, and that really applies to a lot of the Roman emperor stories when you had their political opponents being the ones who were writing the history books uh, mm-hmm. and possibly either, you know, obviously where there's smoke, there must be some fire most of the time, but uh, exaggerations uh, did certainly happen. I think at the very least, we can assume with some level of certainty this man had a serious drinking problem, a seriously violent temper, and not much respect for any form of human dignity at all. Uh, So, like you said, Ben, the the town was absolutely riddled with bullet holes that were kind of little reminders of of these uh, temper tantrums that he would throw. And we have accounts that when taken with the, you know, descriptions of, of how he would behave when he was, you know, older and, and uh, actually in charge of the town, along with some stories of his youth. And those stories kind of portrayed him as a young man completely unhinged. Uh, there's a quote from James L. Jim Cottrell, the great-grandnephew of Billy, who even, you know, in the family was completely willing to throw his relative under the bus and saying when people talk about him when he's not intoxicated he's a normal person he behaves he gets along and then you throw some whiskey in him and he turns into billy the kid which is a a hilarious and astute reference there totally (laughs) so yeah there are signs here that he was a son of privilege and things that uh cast a bit of ominous foreshadowing on his life story so he was racing his family's schooner called Nanny in Tampa Bay when another boat pulled ahead and he got angry that he wasn't uh, first place in the race. So he ran below deck, grabbed a firearm and was trying to shoot the competition, shoot the people on the other boat before the crew was able to restrain him. This is the big question, folks. This, This is one of the big questions. How on earth was Bill getting away with all of this? Well, like we just said, son of privilege. Turns out his father, one J.L.F. Cottrell, was a state senator, and one of his siblings was also an owner of a store on the Main Street Drag. So he had juice. He had political and economic connections. And also remember, this is somewhat of an isolated place at this time. There's one way in, one way out. The population has plummeted due to economic turmoil, as you described earlier, Noel. And the entire town of Cedar Key is kind of in an abusive relationship with this dude. And what happens in abusive relationships? A lot of threats. So the majority of the citizens are not talking about this hellish stuff happening in their town because they have received death threats. In fact, uh, three of his, he had three brothers. And when they joined his campaign, part of their platform, part of the stuff they declared was that they would explicitly hunt down and murder anyone who talked trash about their brother or tried to harm him. Yeah. More additions to the goon squad, the bully patrol. Uh, And these actually had legitimate skin in the game, you know, being of blood relation. I imagine uh, really, you know, believed, were true believers of of their brother, possibly from, you know, years of of their own bullying at his hands. Mm -hmm. Again, just editorializing here a bit. But as opposed to like the marshal who was, you know, possibly based on reports that we read going along with him specifically because he was afraid of him himself, uh, of, of actual you know physical harm coming to him or his family. Yeah. Now, of course, there are legal mechanisms that exist. The Levy County Grand Jury 
had issued some 18 indictments against him, but uh, this never came to anything. None of those indictments were served. The Revenue Cutter Services, Lieutenant Cardin, later said that any of the 18 charges he got hit with would have carried a hanging or life sentence in New York. However, Cottrell's father still has a lot of political influence. And he's the one who contacts the other patricians or members of the uh, political class, like the governor of Florida at the time, Francis P. Fleming, district attorney Joseph Stripling, and tells them specifically that his son is untouchable. And although his father, the elder Senator Cottrell's last term was in 1885, he had enacted a special bill that placed a time limit on his son's indictments. So they were like, you can eventually touch him, but not now. And so one thing he is really good at is leveraging this kind of nepotistic power because he's certainly not a good mayor. How did he leverage this power? Well, in I think just after he took office on January 2nd, 1890, he found a bride. He married a woman named Carolina Freer. She also came from a heavily politically connected family. So he's just like racking up insurance policies in between bouts of getting blackout drunk and shooting at people. Yeah, (laughs) more of the same, really. So we know what you're thinking, folks. This is America. This guy is a cartoon. Uh, What an unfortunate thing to happen to the good people of Cedar Key. Thank God he was only a one-term mayor, right? Yeah, no, no. No, uh, I don't even, it must just be more intimidation, I suppose, or some form of um, Stockholm syndrome, perhaps. Like, literally, it feels like this man was holding the town hostage, uh, and he was able to get uh, reelected. His behavior was damning the town to further economic loss. Uh, He was terrifying the few businessmen that were willing to kind of come into Cedar Keys to try to help maybe revitalize the town, hopefully, or looked at it as a business opportunity. I mean, the streets were literally, again, riddled with bullets. It was like a Wild West situation. His own brothers, uh, Eugene and James, had a business, a mercantile business, that had to close itself because of lack of customers, because nobody wanted to come through town. He did have methods of kind of coercing townspeople to shop at his brother's store, but even that wasn't enough. It was so bizarre, as was his brother's behavior. They were just completely inconsistent. Uh, they wasn't clear whether they fully wanted to support him or whether they were in it to make money for themselves. It was just a very, very strange relationship. There were newspaper reports at the time that the business in town was almost entirely DOA. Uh, there were, you know, long lines of storefronts closing down, one firm after another having sold their assets. The uh, the business owners were either afraid to hang around in such a terrifying place, or they just gave up in utter despair when they saw this decline continuing, you know? Mm-hmm. But despite his terrible and clearly illegal behavior, he still had some support from a minority of the people in town, a minority of the white townsfolk, because 
uh, they were able to, I think, glean some benefits from this corrupt system. And they had all the typical rationalizations and dismissals. You know, they would say, look, he's a great guy, you know, when he's sober or he's a dashing young man, maybe just a little spoiled, but he comes from a wonderful family and we're friends with that family. So as a result, anybody would have been opposition uh, and had the means to leave, just left. Why would you stay in a place uh, that it's not good for business, it's not good for families, it's not great for education, so why? Why stay in Cedar Key? That's how he gets reelected. But this time it's not unanimous. 124 people vote. He gets 67 of the votes, and uh, the remainder go to his opponent, one Samuel G. Reddick. But I would also argue this vote was probably fixed. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I'm just assuming here. Uh, the votes weren't secret. Remember, we talked about in a previous yeah. episode the importance of secret polls. Oh, so the votes aren't secret. Especially in a place like this, a lawless, uh, insane, you know, oh, God, I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Be terrified yeah. to, to, not, to not vote for the guy with the gun. Yeah, and to know that he knows who you voted for. And so he is going crazy because he holds all these grudges, right? So he's, in his mind, the people who voted for his opponent, Reddick, have essentially put themselves on a kill list. And that's when our hero of the story steps in. Her name, Mrs. Rose Bell. Uh, she is the person that we mentioned at the very top who looks for help. And she knows, she's well aware that Florida's political system is what we would sometimes call FUBAR. So she doesn't write to the governor of Florida. She doesn't write to other local mayors. She doesn't write to other local law enforcement. Instead, she writes to the president of the United States on August 4th, 1889. And she says, this guy is a looney tune. He is a habitual drunkard. He is uh, threatening everybody. And then she describes in detail some of the terrible stuff he does. And thank God for Mrs. Rose Bell, you know, the one person with the uh, stamina and the courage to to stand up to this man. Um, She described the, the good Christian men of the town as being too timid to put a stop to this psychotic behavior and ended the letter by saying that she had, quote, no son or husband for him to fuss with and shoot. I expose his character. Yeah, which that's such an interesting sentence to me there because it's almost as if she's saying, I have nothing to lose here. So you can kill me, but I want to save this town. And then President Harrison is to a degree touched by this. Smithsonian Magazine reports that he later noted it was a grim commentary upon the condition of social order at Cedar Keys that only a woman had the courage to file charges against Cottrell. So he's, <laughs> Harrison is being, you know, a fair bit misogynistic there. Uh, but also he is asking the question many of us asked ourselves when we first learned of this story, which is how did it get this far? How did it happen? So Harrison figures out quickly, he says, okay, we need to get some boots on the ground. We need to get some eyes in the streets here, figure out how this mayor is keeping this town in a tyrannical death grip. It seems like it is family connections, fear, and isolation. And so he, uh, he gets his main man, J.H. Pinkerton, to get involved. And, you know, the Pinkerton agency and Pinkerton himself, tremendously controversial figures, 
Pinkerton had been named the new customs collector, and he had the oversight of revenue generation and maritime law. This is a pretty, this is a catbird seat kind of position. And so as soon as he gets to Cedar Key, he runs head to head up against Mayor Cottrell, and they have problems right from the beginning. So because Cottrell was already mayor and customs inspector, customs inspector was a position, by the way, outranked by the job Pinkerton had. But because Cottrell was already serving these two different government positions, he pretty much thought he deserved the promotion to customs collector. He was like, I should do this. It's my town. So finally, Cottrell seems to have met his match. Uh, Like you said, Pinkerton was a tough dude and was not going to be pushed around by this rogue mayor. So, of course, he threatened him. He sent him a telegram to Washington as soon as he felt like it was safe to do that. And their feud had already kind of escalated in previous weeks um, when Pinkerton insisted that Cottrell resign from this post as inspector because of his erratic behavior. And he was ultimately removed from that inspector's post, at which time he approached Pinkerton in town on May 9th, asking him if he could go get his personal belongings that he had left behind in the customs house. But it was after office hours. So Pinkerton says, uh, no, we're not open. So how does Mayor Cottrell respond? He says, watch out, Pinkerton. I better not see you on these streets or I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And, uh, And Pinkerton knows this threat was serious. And so he stayed home. He actually stayed off of the streets. He was kind of in quarantine or a house arrest would be a better word. And this frustrates the mayor And so the mayor is like, why won't this guy come out of his house so I can shoot him like I said I would? So he tried to force someone else to go into Pinkerton's home and then drag him physically into the street. This guy was like, no, you're crazy. You are a terrible mayor, dude. And then the mayor beat the crap out of him. Yeah. As was his way. (laughs) So, you know, uh, there was a telegram that uh, Pinkerton sent on May 22nd to the Treasury Department that really does a fabulous job uh, outlining the situation and how dire it was. He refers to the situation where he refused to open the customs house door after hours. And that is when, um, in addition to threatening him himself, Cottrell also ordered the town marshal, J.R. Mitchell, to, quote, shoot the goddamn Republican son of a bitch if he failed to open the the doors to him. He then called me, this is him in in his dispatch, called me vile names he could think of in a loud and angry voice and said, I will make it a hell for you and you're set as long as you stay in Cedar Keys and many other vile things equally bad, using all the time the most profane oaths and vile epithets. Yep. So he's a potty mouth too. Right. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. 
This is important stuff. Your team can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places hello america it's ted from consumer cellular the guy in the orange sweater and this is your wake-up call if you don't have consumer cellular yet now is the perfect time to switch and save for a limited time new customers can get wireless service for as low as 15 dollars a month for your first year yep the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for 15 dollars a month for an entire year what are you waiting for call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit consumercellular.com and use code radio 15 consumercellular.com slash first year 15 for promotional details the marshals found themselves outgunned by what essentially had become a gang terrorizing the town and so at this point pinkerton requested assistance casey can we get some like uh history appropriate going to war music Perfect. It's crazy how we can just describe that stuff. And and you always know what it is, Casey. But (laughs) this is it. Pinkerton asked for federal intervention, as well as uh, our earlier uh, letter writer. And this request was granted through that revenue cutter service. They sent a ship called McLean to the islands on May 15th, 1890. The captain, Thomas S. Smith, and his crew arrived just a few days later And they were appalled. We have to remember, they were outsiders. They realized how abnormal this was. And the captain, Captain Smith, said, quote, 
The newspaper reports are not only not exaggerated, but do not tell one half of this man Cottrell's crimes. The fact is, the people here are in a perfect state of terror and are unable to obtain assistance or protection from the state authorities, owing to the influence wielded by Cottrell and the methods resorted to in frightening and terrorizing witnesses. So, because they have this ship with them, the captain and his crew and some additional marshals start searching Cedar Key for the mayor. Sort of like, I get the sense, Noel, that this is like house by house knocking on doors. Like, you know, a manhunt almost, right? Yes, yeah. But as, you know, big bads in many stories are wont to do, uh, he did escape. Cottrell evaded capture. He made his way up the Swanee River and out of the reach of of his pursuers. And even after this escape, Pinkerton requested that the cutter remain nearby to, you know, give people a little bit of uh, comfort, right? To make sure that they knew that they were going to be taken care of and that Cottrell could not just, you know, come back as uh, big bads are also want to do and uh, undeterred and just continue his reign of terror. So uh, the McLean remained docked uh, and continued firing blank rounds And that sound could be heard throughout the keys. But despite being absolutely terrorized by this guy for over a year, uh, they didn't care for the idea of federal intervention either. In fact, they, they may have disliked it even more. They saw the docking of this federal vessel on their shores as a a sign of um, a lack of their own autonomy and of big government sort of swooping in. And keep in mind, this is 25 years after the union had left. So there was still, you know, as (laughs) don't we know, there remains today in some pockets of the South, this kind of uh, hostility, this kind of sense of uh, an identity separate from the rest of the the country, right? Uh, There's a really great quote from the New York Times from that era saying, quote, the people here have lived so long in an unreconstructed condition that the appearance of the United States seamen in the streets intent on forcing order and obedience is especially galling. Captain Smythe was actually threatened uh, by a resident who threatened to shoot on sight anyone who attempted to come into his home. This is all so ironic, Ben, considering that he, he's, you know, we know that that uh, Billy Cottrell and his goons often would enter people's homes, forcing them out into the street and making them dance like little puppets. And yet the the idea of any outside force coming in and doing the same in, in the uh, name of keeping order and, and maintaining their safety, mm-hmm. this is serious Stockholm Syndrome stuff here. Right. So there's a lot to be said here with bedside manner. First off, we have to understand these people have endured a lot of abuse. And then secondly, we have to understand that the way the uh, feds are approaching this situation is not particularly like touchy feely or helpful. They're on a manhunt. And so they're doing kick doors house by house, clearing the block. So of course you would react adversely to that because it's like terrifying tactics, if not terrorism itself, because they're like kicking doors in, they're hitting people with rifle butts, tearing apart houses too. So they're like, I guess you would call it tossing. You know, they're looking for any closet, under any floorboards, uh, where somebody might be hiding. 
And to me, it's kind of um, silly that Smythe and his team don't understand why people would react adversely to busting in their house and tearing apart their stuff. But these people were complaining about these house searches. So the telegrams complaining about this made their way back to Washington. And uh, this gave the, the folks at the Revenue Cutter Service increased scrutiny. And Congress started to argue about it. Uh, one special deputy uh, said, look, we have to keep our eyes on this situation. We have to ensure that homes haven't been entered unlawfully or without permission. Uh, but he did include a very classist line where he said, otherwise, quote, the rabble will talk and bluster. So it came down to President uh, Benji Harrison, who said on June 6th that he had decided it just didn't make sense to appeal to local authorities. They were all corrupt. They would have to do something else. So we actually we have a full quote from his written statement. That's right. He says, quote, it will be agreeable to me if the local authorities, this is how he talked clearly, acting upon their own sense of duty, maintain the public order in such a way that the officers of the United States shall have no occasion to appeal for the intervention of the general government. But when this is not done, I shall deem it my duty to use the adequate powers vested in the executive to make it safe and feasible to hold and exercise the offices established by the federal constitution and the law. So what he's saying there is that, uh, look, the local system isn't working. So Uncle Sam is going to have to bring the hammer down and restore order. I, as president, consider that part of my job based on just how far out of hand this has gone. Totally. I mean, and you got to think too, Ben, there had to have been a collective, more than PTSD, but also just like a, they lived in this weird, violent bubble. And, and when you're governed by violence, violence probably becomes kind of an undercurrent of day-to-day of -day life. So even like left with this vacuum uh, of this iron-fisted, you know, despot, people didn't know how to govern themselves. You know, they were probably, you know, kind of freaking out. And, and, I, and I understand nobody wants the feds coming into their house to search their stuff, but I understand the need for this level of intervention. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, well, I think it's weird because I, I would be hesitant to say that the townsfolk who were being victimized had some kind of Stockholm syndrome. It's just like these are two, now these are two different gangs um. tearing up our town, essentially. And, and also we have to remember everybody who could have left, who was not part of the goon squad, already left. So the people there are probably don't have the means to relocate or they're part of this uh, brutal gang structure. And people still hadn't found Mayor Billy. He made his way up the Suwannee River. He's heading hot-headed toward the Georgia border, traveling onward to Alabama. He learned nothing from this, from his narrow escape. He did not change his behavior, but this kind of stuff doesn't fly in the rest of the U.S. So on July 19th, same year, he was arrested in Alabama for, you know, being a lunatic. And uh, he posted a $2,500 bond. Uh, he had a trial set for Jacksonville, but he never made the trial. On November 5th, he got intensely intoxicated, picked a fight with a guy at a restaurant who owned the restaurant. And then according to the newspaper, <laughs> the police chief of Montgomery, Alabama, Adolph Gerald, 
got on Cottrell's bad side by not allowing him to do whatever the hell he wanted. And so Cottrell, like, picture this. Picture him, like, pointing at him and going, you've made a powerful enemy. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a duel. I swear vengeance upon you. And then he told all the people he knew or anyone who was listening, like, I'm going to kill the police chief. It's just scheduling now. We just have to get our schedules to align for the duel. I think he's got a thing at 3, but maybe maybe 4.30. So just past 11 in the morning, the next day, Cottrell showed up at police headquarters um, exiting a horse-drawn buggy. Uh, and Cheryl didn't wait for the like the the duel to begin for you know pistols at dawn. Right as Cottrell was getting out of the carriage, Gerald walked up and just blasted him with both barrels of a double-barreled shotgun. Got him once in the torso and once right in the eye, leaving him bleeding out in the street in what was described as a bloody and ghastly spectacle by the Montgomery advisor. Fitting, fitting end. I mean, from bloody beginnings come bloody endings. Uh, And Gerald, he surrendered himself to the county sheriff claiming self-defense, which I I don't know how that would work out in court, I guess. Uh, Can you act preemptively in self-defense? Well, was it preemptive? Because the guy had explicitly told multiple people he was going to kill the police chief. He showed up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he showed up intending to kill him. So, I like, look, also, it didn't hurt that Cottrell was just a, a massive jerk. So the next day, the coroner says, okay, we, we accept that this was self-defense because everything about this man's life proves that he definitely was there to kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the end, President Harrison, uh, his intervention didn't really matter. Not, not too much. And the Coast Guard didn't really matter. But it was a shootout in Alabama that ultimately put an end to this guy's reign of terror. And newspapers across the country carried the story The New York World called it the bloody end of a bloodthirsty monster. And the New York Times even ran this headline by way of obituary, Cottrell killed at last. Yeah. Can you imagine people hate you so much that your obituary basically has yay in the headline? I I, I would argue that our buddy Robert Evans ought to consider this guy for an episode of Behind the Bastards. Yes. Because he was absolutely that. Yes, he was a bastard indeed. Uh, luckily, folks, you may be glad to know that the town of Cedar Key is still around today. It is way more chill than it was in the 1890s. Fishing is still a big industry. I think the pencil factory closed and uh, the local historical society has a lot to tell you about, <laughs> a lot to talk about. And nowadays, uh, if you if you ever find yourself down that way, do stop by. It seems like a, a quiet Wonderful place to relax. Uh, Maybe they have a sign in the town square that says, you know, like X amount of years or days since the mayor shot someone. Or maybe it's still too soon to joke about, but I, I would visit Cedar Key. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of road trips. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to check it out. I know I would too. I got, I got to wonder too, Ben, the, the um, you know how Florida has these stand your ground laws, you know, like mm. if anyone's coming at you or encroaching upon your uh, property or what have you, you know, you, you fair game for you to blast them. You think this is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was more than just this, but this does seem like kind of a precedent for that. You know what? That is an interesting question. I'm wondering, let's see, the stand your ground law, was that in 
2005 it was passed? I, I, I don't say. recall exactly. I just know it was very controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I just, it, it just, I wonder if just there's something in the history of Florida that led to it being one of the only states that has such a law. True. Uh, and maybe this was not the only incident of its type. But regardless, it's tough to have much sympathy for this mayor. Even though he did die in a very painful way, uh, he is estimated to have murdered himself anywhere from five to ten people. He was a big bully, uh, and the town was inarguably better off without him. Thus ends the story of the tyrant mayor of Cedar Key. And that's our episode for today. Thank you, as always, to super producer Casey Pegram. Uh, thanks also to Gabe Luzier, who I, we've been teasing for so long, but we, you know, we did have a great talk with him. Um, we're going to take him to the circus. Can I say that as a spoiler? Is that enough of a teaser, maybe? I think that's perfect, Ben. Uh, no, you know, not literally. Uh, we're not quite there yet, and, and these are COVID times, but hopefully soon, everybody. Uh, hopefully soon. Hopefully your loved ones are getting that vaccine. And by the way, I want to say this, I think just for everyone's benefit, um, I have a friend who pointed out to me that uh, you can actually call places like Walmart, for example, this may be the only one around here that's doing it, and get on a waiting list for leftover doses of the vaccine because it's all appointment-based and sometimes people don't turn up mm-hmm. and they expire if they're not used the day that they're taking out of cold storage or put into the actual uh, syringes for distribution, you know, for inoculation. So if anyone is interested, you can call a local Walmart and actually get on a waiting list. And my, my friend got the first dose of the vaccine and, and she is uh, not an elderly person at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Uh, the vaccine situation in the U.S. is, is going state by state. Please do be safe, folks. Uh, please take care with uh, yourself and your loved ones. We'll get th- through this together. If Cedar Key can survive a tyrant mayor, then we can weather a pandemic. Uh, thanks, of course, to our favorite uh, audio infection, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. <laughs> the Quister. Yeah, for sure. I think we'll be hearing from both him and uh, the hero of the day, Gabe Luzier, uh, in the very near future. Huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Eve's Jeffcoat. Check out This Day in History class on a podcast platform near you. And, of course, uh, thanks to the Cedar Keys Board of Tourism, a thing that I just made up. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.